This CBF podcast conversation is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theology education. Study online or on campus and learn from Fuller seasoned scholar practitioners and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goals, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next steps in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. That's fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. Hey podcast listeners, this is your host, Andy Hale. We are thrilled to bring you another year of CBF's podcast with a cavalcade of brilliant guests such as Father Tom Reese, Washington Post's Sarah Pulliam Bailey, Mark Charles, Soong Chen Ra, and Matthew Paul Turner. And that's just skimming the surface of the first few months. As you know, last fall, we launched the Podcast Listener Support Project. This is an opportunity for you to connect closer with the podcast and premier guest. By becoming a podcast supporter, you can join me on an interview with premier guests such as Walter Brueggemann, Sarah Bessie, and Brian McLaren. So check out cbf.net backslash podcast support. And now, on to our conversation. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Casey Van Norman. Casey is the author of several books, including Raw Faith, Named by God, and the recently released Nothing Wasted. Casey, thank you for joining the conversation. Andy, it's my honor. Thank you so much for having me. So from what I understand, you are a huge, and I mean a big, LSU Tigers fan. <laughs> now you knew just what to say to <laughs> roll me up, didn't you? <laughs> so you're, you, you are a, I thought uh, this Texas, was a Baptist I mean, diehard Aggies fan. So, um, you know, besides, besides being from Texas and besides being an, an Aggies fan that is regretting maybe paying their coach too much money for a long contract, uh, <laughs> tell, us, tell us a little bit more about you. Well, I tell you what, I live in College Station, which the campus of Texas A&M University is not 10 miles from my home. And our house shakes with a touchdown, you know, because there's cannons and there's jets and there's all the things. So, yes, it's you when you are here, you've got to be a fan or you die in the street. I mean, it is 
really cutthroat Aggie land that I'm in. So <laughs> we, we are all about it. We have all these great college students that live all around us, which makes our town really fun. And my husband and I, we serve at a local church with college ministry. And of course we have our own children. I have an 11 year old son and a 14 year old daughter, which are being mentored by college students. So in all seriousness and honesty, we love our community and it's kind of big city meets small town. So it's, it's just been this great thing for us because a large part of our story is us really running from the church and this fallout in my marriage with my husband. And we'll get to that and we'll talk more about that. But that, that's why we're talking today is that God's used this unlikely person, unlikely story, unlikely life to bring us full circle in what he is able to do. And a large part of that is that we are still in the church. It's unbelievable to me that we are still in the church and not just members, but absolutely love the church. And he's just changed my heart. And anyway, I'm excited about that. And that's a a large part of who I am now is just being in the church and loving the church. But by trade, by profession, I am a professional counselor and I work in the mental health industry and I work specifically with addiction recovery and inmate reentry. So that's what I do on a daily basis. But then for the past 10 years, I've just been able to write some of this stuff down of what God's teaching me and going through his word. I love the word of God and um, really start to integrate a lot of that mental health component with the word of God and just put some practical language on what that looks like for us to really live full and whole. So I've been speaking and traveling and teaching women's groups mainly and writing for the past 10 years and do that on the side. But um, mainly I just love my family, raise my kids, do the laundry. (laughs) So just to go back to one more thing and to throw a little bit more shade on the Aggie season, y'all didn't hear a lot of you know, fireworks and can booms this year. <laughs> I can't even talk. I was going to get in so much trouble. See, I have to shut it down now. No, we did not. Well, so, it, <laughs> but we're it, still committed. We're the, you know. It, I, I, I don't want to come at this as if I am an LSU Tigers fan, being that I'm the pastor of University of Baptist Church right off the campus of LSU. Um, I'm actually was born into an Alabama family. My dad graduated from the University of Alabama, so I didn't have a choice. So coming here, I really feel like, you know, um, wow, you know, small person in, in a very big world. So I, I'm just happy they've had their one good season. They'll be satisfied for the next 10 years. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I, maybe to clarify a little bit that I'm not coming at you as a, uh, you know, no, as, as a Tigers fan. Great. So. So, um, That's great. you know, the, I love the, it. the call to writing is, is kind of unique. You know, um, I write a lot. Um, my writing comes out and, you know, obviously preparing for, for sermons. Uh, it's very rarely that I feel like I would want to write something that somebody actually wants to pick up and read on their own, mm-hmm. you know. So walk us through this sense of calling uh, to writing, how you got into it. Well, Andy, I always say that God's will is not something we have to beat down, that it's just not going to be behind the doors that we have to beat down. And so I can certainly say that with writing, I did not go looking for for that. And I have so much respect 
an honor for people who have done this work and do this hard work for years and years and, and my goodness, write so much more creatively um, than I do or better than I do. And um, this is something I've had to really work at. And I just began, like all of us began, because, you know, public writing is is different than just journal writing, which I started doing and writing in my church and writing curriculum and Bible studies and things like that's where I started. And I was just working to my own stuff. You know, I was just trying to get into the word of God and really understand why all of this happened. I mean, really, simply and specifically, why God had allowed, um, for a better use of words, God had allowed things in my life to just um, fall apart in some of the most horrific ways. And I had to work through so much forgiveness in my life, forgiveness of um, my own father who walked away very young, forgiveness of uh, just my biological parents who did not handle things rightly, but handled things as much as they knew how to love. Um, they were loving me to the extent they'd experienced it for themselves. So working through these big concepts of forgiveness, I experienced sexual abuse as a teenager at 15 years old, I was raped and um, had a ton of bitterness and anger, as you would imagine, around that trauma. And um, really just when you're looking at all of these things compiled in your life as an adult and looking back, how do, does one come to terms and reckon with a holy sovereign God in light of those things? And so this has been a process of writing um, called to this work. That's that's a word. I just I gotta learn more about that because sometimes I do. <laughs> sometimes I don't feel that. Sometimes I don't feel. Sometimes I feel like I am kicking and screaming my way into this thing. Um, with a to be confident and not to let my insecurities get in the way. And it's just constantly refining. It's constant. Uh, purification with the Lord because I just don't feel qualified in any way to be a writer. But to see the way that people connect with words, to say that, see the way that we are built to connect to a story. And when I see women, um, you know, across the nation, when I go get to speak and stand in front of them and say, me too, I read your story, I read your book. And finally, somebody is saying, you know, this part of me that I feel like I can't say in the church that is where it's at, you know, just to see that God is able to bypass all of my own insecurities um, and qualifications, non-qualifications to get to the heart of what he is doing in the eternal perspective. And so um, I think when we are able to do the small things like write in our Sunday school group or write in our, just be obedient to write in our journal and start to work out our life on paper that's that's it. That's all God needs us to do is be faithful with those small, seemingly mediocre average steps that are huge for him. And then anything, any calling, whether it's writing or um, being the class mom, I mean, whatever that is, he is going to bring that into our life. And that's what he did with me. I just had someone show up at my Sunday school class that I was teaching one day who happened to be happened to know an editor and said, look, I'm reading through your material and I really think somebody could benefit from this. I think this could be a helpful resource for the church. 
And it started from there. And um, I've just been so blown away. I've been blown away that God would just take this small little thing like a college curriculum that I was writing and turn it in now to um, five different published Bible studies and three different published memoirs. And, um, you know, just that's the stuff he wants to do. But it's, it's not without brutal, hard, painful, sanctifying work because there are no take backs in public writing and there's so much that changes. So it, it can be scary and it can be really terrifying at times to have so much of yourself out there for public consumption and um, be a changing, evolving person at the same time. And so that's just, but I love it. I love that that's where I have called, like you say, been called to be obedient to the Lord is to continue that as long as he continues to open the door. In your writing, we get a lot of honest and transparent stories about your life. Um, but beyond these stories, what is your goal as a writer and speaker? My goal and as a writer and speaker is the same. It's simple, and it is simply that my life can encourage others to trust God more. That's it. Just I just want myself to trust God more, and I want anyone who hears me speak or reads my words to trust God more. Trust Him more today than you did yesterday. And I think the simplicity in that message um, and if my life story can welcome someone into that, if if my life story can en encourage that God will use and is using and he's intentional and he is um, writing all of these experiences and people of our entire life for an eternal uh, meaning, if we can trust that, then we can trust whatever trauma we've been through, whatever wounding we've experienced, whatever biological parents, whether they were wonderful, healthy, or dysfunctional, volatile, um, whatever hardship, loss, pain has come into our life, we can begin, if we can just trust him more than we did yesterday, we can really begin to have hope. We can have a sense of meaning. We can begin to live in the freedom that we talk about in church. I love all the words that we use in church. I just want them to be deeply, deeply real to us internally as a believer. I want the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he has finished the work to give us the freedom to stop fixing everything in the church and let things be a little broken and let things be a little messy. And so that's what you hear in my story and why I'm super vulnerable um, maybe to the point of, you know, making people uncomfortable <laughs> that because if I can just go to the front of the line with real talk and real issues and what we are really feeling about those things, then maybe we can all just let each other off the hook a little bit more and let God be God. You've got a, a new book out that um, is very honest um, nothing wasted. God uses the stuff you wouldn't. This book is about God using um, embarrassing and painful and inexplicable things from our lives for something better. Uh, you wrote, it's not enough to say that God uses our lives if he does not also design them. God doesn't waste our lives. He designs them on purpose for purpose. Walk us through the, the conception of this book. 
Well, I'll tell you, Andy, this book, I, I wrote this book twice, the manuscript twice, and I'm talking like 300 pages of a manuscript, um, like 90,000 words, 100,000 words. And and it was rejected twice by, by by two different publishing houses. And I did that about five years ago where I was submitting all this and and really just devastated that I'd had kind of these two successful, some meet somewhat successful books come out and curriculums come out and do pretty well for a first time author with at that time, um, we did not have the social media you know, gain like we have now. I mean, it was like you're writing a blog every single day in your closet, you know, and without a shower and you're staying home mom and you're sitting, you know, at your kitchen counter <laughs> without, you know, your husband's off at work, whatever. And you're just pounding out this blog, trying to get it out. And it's like blogspot dash, you know, whatever dash, whatever dash. <laughs> and somebody's maybe happening upon this, this writing. And then now I'm living in this totally different world where um, honesty and story and media and the arc of people's lives is happening so quickly. And if you're not catching someone quickly with, um, you know, your information, then they're bypassing, they're going on, you know, through it to the next thing. And so I really came to a point when this manuscript was rejected where I was like, I'm just, I'm just not the girl for this time for this generation, for this, whatever, I'm too old, I'm, I need to move on, whatever it is. I was thinking of all these lies. And so what I began to do kind of back to talking about writing, you know, I transitioned into this, this person who would eventually get uh, a publishing contract and then this book would make it to the shelves. I pulled back and I just started to write with the Lord, just me and him for nobody, for nothing. So I went back and I wrote this, my life on paper and with every experience and relationship that I've had, that I had my entire life through, I would find the biblical truth to coincide with, to align with it, to tell me the truth of whatever lie I might be believing about someone else or about this experience. And I watched this design happen, this pattern happen of redemption over and over and something painful would happen and it would just crush me and there would be um, this devastating fallout in my life, either at the hands of someone else or my own hands. And every single time I would just see the faithfulness of God carry me through and do something new. But here was the catch. Um, in previous manuscripts I had written, the newness or the new thing that God was doing, I would attribute to um, something else, something outside or external of my own life story. But as I began to put pen to paper and really dig deep and no longer am I writing for a machine or a company or the man, I am just writing between me and God and this whole honest place. Um, what I began to see is that God was not bringing in some external thing. He was actually using the raw uh, brick and mortar of my own life to show me his will for my life. And really scales begin to fall from my eyes and chains of weight of uh, striving or perfection or earning or comparing just dropped to the ground because I was beginning to be set free into a lane that was what I had always been born to do. And it wasn't so much born to be a writer or born to be a mom. 
um, it really was just who he's made me to be and how I am to know him and the, the diversity and the uniqueness of the way that he's brought me to that throughout the course of my whole life of the degrees of glory one to another um, of this working out of my own salvation. And so I just saw this, I experienced, not just saw, but experienced God now, not as a subjective one dimensional thing. He, he was, became my reality through this process. So this book took me about five years to write because I had to uproot every part of my story. And I honestly thought it would be um, rejected again because I talk about so much. I mean, I talk so openly and honestly about addiction, sexual promiscuity, um, adultery, and just the hypocrisy that was my life as a Christian and how that just came crashing down for me to really fully believe grace and fully trust Jesus in this whole way with my whole life. And uh, that's the work of, you know, that became this book. And I'm just, I can't believe it. I still look at it and hold it in my hand and I can't believe it's an actual real thing that people can read. But man, I, I trust the Lord. I trust that God's going to let the reader read that really needs it and um, that it's helpful for. And that's a good feeling. This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. For 25 years, center consultants, coaches, and educators have been supporting congregations, clergy, and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life, including training ministers to manage transition, helping congregations work through polarizing conflict, coaching clergy to discover and utilize their gifts for ministry, and assisting congregations in discerning God's call to future missions and ministry. Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in missions and ministry. You hit on something I was going to ask next, which is, you know, one thing I was not expecting when I opened the book um, was uh, sex, and there's a lot about sex in here. But as I was, yeah, as I was reading it and processing it, um, then I started to think to myself, you know what? We, as the institutional church, um, we avoid that topic and all the emotions that come with it, like the plague. Um, so I wonder for yeah. you, you know why was it important to, to share those stories, to share those insights as, as part of this book? Well, you know, I, as a counselor, I think one thing that I always think about is it's really hard to learn from someone who has not lived that. And it's not to say that we can't be stretched or can't, you know, um, think deeply about things way beyond our experience, but I think God gives us each our life, our specific life. I wouldn't have write, written this story if I didn't think that, but I think God gives us each one our own specific life to uh, point others to his kingdom in a specific way. And, you know, my particular life, I can only write about what's happened to me and the intimacy 
of sex and what God intended sex to be was ruptured and fractured so early on in my life. And I was so disoriented and so confused about that. And I think that's why Jesus is so specific about it in the Bible. You know, of all the sins, there's not a category of sin, so to speak, but there, there is a sin that is against our own body. There is a sin that can disrupt the intimacy between us and him more than any other. And that is sex outside of marriage Um, or even sex inside marriage that is motivated from a place of harm or pain or insecurity or blame or anger. So that was really key for me to understand. I had to go back um, as, you know, a a 15 year old girl who had never even had her first kiss and her first intimate experience with a man would be to be raped. And then, you know, a a woman, we are just so, all of us as humans, so desperately want to be wanted. We want to belong. We want to be accepted. Um, But there's something about the, the feminine psyche, our bodies that are really precious to us. And when that is, Um, dismissed when we become used there's something in me in particular that just said hey uh, there's no way a good guy is ever going to want me there's just no way and that translated to although I didn't realize it until I was much older but going through my teenage years and into my 20s what that translated to no good guy is going to want me because I'm used material is God is never going to want me God is never really going to want me. And so I think this is that fine line that we walk in any kind of wounding or trauma or um, when something like our innocence is taken from us too early or we're just disoriented where reality, our reality and the experience of our reality overwhelms what we know to be true. That's what a trauma is. We, we attribute that to God. And there's got to be a time in our life where we start to assign correctly this experience in the eternal perspective. And that's the work that I've done. But, um, you know, for me, here I have this disruption of my intimacy, and then I actually use the thing, sex, to kind of blame God or pay back God for whatever way I thought he had failed me because I really believed that I was doing the right thing and that I kept my promise and that I was going to stay pure until marriage. And I, what's happening, the experience that's happening of being molested and raped is saying, okay, God, I kept my end of the deal, but you didn't keep yours. And so I paid him back in every promiscuous relationship. But what I really wanted at the end of it was not the sex. I wanted to be accepted and I wanted to be loved unconditionally And, you know, I talk about this because so many people in the church, in and outside the church, but I talk about this from a Christian worldview in the book because God talks about it and God knows how deeply our sense of um, him, of who he is, can be distorted through something like a sexual experience. And I I just want us to come clean with that. I want us to be honest with that. I want us to talk about that openly as the church and really put the language on it, the biblical language on it, what that looks like to be healed there, what that looks like to forgive, you know, the, the man in your life or the woman in your life who has 
taken that from you, um, what that looks like to really deal with a God who's allowed all of that in your life. And so those were just big pieces for me that needed to have biblical clarity put on them. And so I go into detail about it in the book, and I really want people to, if you've had any kind of sexual molestation or abuse, or even maybe in marriage, you are not um, equally yoked there in that experience, or you just don't know how to be intimate. I mean, there's a difference between affection and intimacy. And so I, I think people as Christian believers can be married many, many years and have a lot of affection for. And so even if that's a question mark for you, I think this book would be really helpful. You hit on some pretty raw emotions in this book, including rejection. Um, you wrote, rejection is the great fear of humanity because it exposes the truth that we all desperately long for its opposite acceptance. Um, in, in your work as a, as a writer, but also as a counselor, what, what kind of rejection um, do people experience most? Well, I think we all experience the rejection just of other people, but I think across the board, what we experience most is um, rejection from the people who were supposed to accept us. Across the board, what I see in my office, what I hear standing in a line with women and just hugging them and praying for them, what I receive in my inbox or my DM is, um, you know, my parents rejected me. My parents didn't love me unconditionally. So I think as far as a relationship that you can pinpoint of who, where do we, you know, where do we feel that first? I think it's with our, with our parents. Um, but let me give the parents a lot of grace here. Um, every human being is really kind of set up to not love us the way that God loves us. I mean, none of us mortally are able to love someone with the love that God gives us. We can do a, a, a fine job of it. We can get better at it. We can grow in our maturity and our faith to love the way that Jesus does. But ultimately, I think every human relationship is going to disappoint us because God is meant to be the satisfier of our soul. And so, you know, I think we as as human people we just grow up in a home with mortal people that that our nature and default is sin our nature and default is what we want when we want it and just because we're parents doesn't change that fact um just because we're we've become parents doesn't mean that we you know have dealt with all of our issues that we've uh, properly given all those to god that we've forgiven the people we need to forgive and so over our life we kind of have collateral damage if we don't slow down that's why i wrote this book i want people to slow down long enough to think about their life um for, for many the the church um the church isn't a place of acceptance but rejection um how might you work with churches um that maybe need to rethink the proverbial line in the sand they've they've drawn for certain people facing certain types of circumstances or decisions in their life? Oh, Andy, I love this question. Um, you know, I think that for the church, well, first and foremost, I think there's just such, <laughs> we've got to be preachers of the gospel of Jesus. We've got to lead with grace, right? We've really got to teach and drill into 
the message that um, Jesus gives us grace upon grace and that unconditional love is this love that's that's free. It's just free. It's free. It's free. And there's nothing that we can do to earn it. And we are forever finished. So when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our past, present, and future is completely finished in him. Our posture, there's no compromising that posture and position in him. And also, um, because of that, so now what we're doing is we're setting people up for grace and that is what's going to lead to obedience. So if we can be a people that teach that the freedom of grace will bring naturally obedience, that it's not the other way around, that obedience and telling people what they need to do, giving them a 10 point list of how to is not going to lead to freedom in Christ. Um, that it is actually preaching the message of the gospel and the grace of who we already are, of laying claim to who we are already. And I think if we just keep saying that over and over and we keep it simple, that people really, God will do the work of the spirit in their heart. And and I, I just run that home. And I think as a church, if we can set up our leadership, uh, both men and women, to do that well for whatever the brokenness is, whatever the trauma is, whatever the pain is, that we're meeting someone exactly where they are, exactly where they are. And if they have, you know, if they're dropping curse words every other word, that's exactly where they are. And for us to wrap our arms around them and not try to fix them, but just to model a life of acceptance and love and grace, I really do think, Andy, that we can trust God to do the work. I think he will do the work in their life. And for us to step back off of our high horse, and I'm talking to me, but for us to step back just a little bit and go, who in the world do I think I am? Who do I think I am to be telling anybody? I can preach the word of God and be faithful to that. And I don't have to um, compromise the word of God in any way and live a life that still fully accepts someone going through whatever they are going through, wherever they are going through it. And my trusting God with their life and me. And here's the other thing too, I would say Andy, um, of acceptance and the church. We've got to be willing to risk our reputation to bear their burden. Um, a lot of the book I talk about coming out of this um, overwhelming sense of shame internally, this fear that at the end of it, if I really said the most honest thing about my life and what I'd been through, that the, not just the church corporately, but that people, my closest friends, my family would reject me. Um, coming to the end of this horrific lie that I'd established because at the end of it, I loved the lie more than I loved God. I mean, that's a simple truth of why we do anything habitually distrusting God. We love the lie more than we love God. And we've taken loads of our time and our resources and our energy to pour into this thing. And we've nurtured it and we've rehearsed it and we become adults and we're 25, 26, 27. And we have this thing that maybe we've never said out loud before, and we're watching all the pretty people over here going, well, if I just do what they're doing long enough, maybe I'll eventually become that. And But we've got this thing we've been nursing, and it, maybe it's shame, maybe it's fear, maybe it's rejection, maybe it's an addiction, uh, maybe it's a thing you do in the dark, or depression, or the secret thing you just never said. Maybe it's shopping too much. It can be any 
anywhere on the gamut of distrusting God in any kind of habitual way. And for me to come to the end of it, being in an adulterous relationship with my best friend's husband, all of us leaders in the church, and God literally taking me to the end of myself. I mean, sifting me to the bottom of my sin, to the bottom of what I thought I wanted and who I thought he was. And here's what met me there. What met me there was grace. It wasn't a list of things I needed to do to clean myself up. It wasn't a ministry. It wasn't a great book. It wasn't a pulpit. It was the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ saying, I have loved you all along. I have allowed all of these things in your life to take you to the bottom of what you, what you thought about me so that I could show you who I really am. And what began to heal me and bring me back to the church, the place I'd run from from so long, it was people willing to risk their reputation on me. It was people willing to link arms with me and my husband in the worst day of our life when I am the girl at, on the back pew that you would never associate. When I am the girl that you would say, I would never do that. I'm the girl. And for the church to come into this, to bear the burden, live out the very literal commandment of picking up adultery, picking up my shame, picking up the fear of rejection, and putting it on their shoulders with me. You want to talk about what changed my heart and what I pray we can get as leaders and anyone with a, a mouthpiece in any capacity in the church is that we would be people who would bear the burden, come into someone's um, addiction and pick it up and put it on our shoulders, come into the loss that someone is feeling, the depression, um, homosexuality, uh, uh, whatever that looks like, that someone is struggling to really believe God is who he says he is, and that we would risk everything, everything that God's grace really is good that God's love really is the measure of all that is good and unconditional and wonderful and just in this world. And that is what I pray and hope. That's why I hope this book and the Bible study specifically for the church will be helpful because it's, it's bringing in this, you know, girl who's had all of this trauma and this sin and this as a Christian, not the girl that didn't know the Lord lived this rebellious life and then had this come to Jesus moment. And then God, no, the girl who's been in church her whole life, the girl who had, if she had died in any point in all of this, even in the middle of disgusting adultery and betraying everyone around her, um, even in the midst of my addictions and popping pills and sexual promiscuity and my loneliness and depression and shame, in the midst of that, had I died in any of those moments, I would have been in heaven with Jesus. This is the girl, the girl who was a Christian and had a habitual pattern of distrusting God in her life. How did he become real to her? And how does she hold her head up every single day and go back into church and not just go back into church, but 
but step into places of leadership, step into places of service, step into places where I do feel that God has given me a voice. I do feel that God has given me a story and I feel it's useful and, and and to his meaning, to his purpose, to his eternal design. And so I really hope that this book and curriculum gives a resource for the church, whether that be lay person, lay whoever, just gives us some footing to go, okay, <laughs> even if, or if that girl, then if that girl can get it, if God can use that life, then man, what's he going to do with me? What was, as you're writing these transparent stories, as you're, um, you know, conveying its connection to your faith journey, what was the most challenging theological conclusion you came to through writing this book? <laughs> conclusion. Oh man, I am such a work in progress, Andy. I, um, I'm always wishing I could just, you know, say something and, and not have that little small twinge of, wait a minute, what? <laughs> you know? But I, I think I'm just, we're just evolving. We're working things out. Um, I do think we do come to terms where we know something to be true, to be true, to be true. And we just stand sure-footed in that thing. And for me, and I'll tell you what brought me to this place for me. And here's the, the rub. Here's the hardest part of writing about the sovereignty of God is the best part, right? It's both. And that we have free will. We're responsible for our choices. Yes. And God is completely uh, eternal. God is completely in control. God has predetermined everything for his eternal kingdom and purposes. And so it's this both and that gets us across the board, I think. It's the both and of life. It's the both and of what you want me to love, who. And and this is the kingdom of Jesus. This is what he offers us is so much grace to be frustrated there, to be questioning there, to come before him. Um, one of my very favorite stories in, in the scripture is the story of Job. And here's why, because this story in specifically in the way that this worked itself out is what gave me my footing, my security to really be rooted in saying things like this. And I, when I know there's going to be pushback, when I know there's going to continue to be theological debate around the sovereignty of God and how could a good God allow, you know, suffering pain in the world that's going to continue to be the conversation. Um, but Job, looking at this man who went through it all, went through it all. And at the end of it, I think what I thought growing up and when I would hear this story preached to me is that Job, um, you know, he, he never, he just was a righteous man and he went through all this pain. And at the end, he was still a righteous man. But when I started to read the, read the story over and over, I saw all these different voices coming in, his friends, his wife, um, the youth pastor, you know, all those guys coming in and saying all this stuff about God, about who God should be to Job. And I realized this is how I've lived most of my Christian life. I've just been talking about God. But when you deal with the end of yourself, when you are at the, and I went through here, this sweeping, um, sinful breaking, like sifting of my own pride, my own flesh, my own sin. I'm at the bottom. I tell about this story in the book, but attempting to take my own life, 
Now that's the depth of the soul. That's the, the darkest night of a soul is when you really feel that hopeless. But, you know, fast forward a few years and I then am diagnosed with a life-threatening cancer diagnosis, which I also talk about in the book. And so here now I am in another deep depth, dark night of the soul that I've got to wrestle with the Lord and deal with the Lord. And so I'm experiencing this gamut of relational trauma and then just um, human flesh pain. I mean, just suffering that's no one, I can't look at any person to blame. It's just, this is between cancer, it's between me and God. And I'm looking at Job and at the end, God's saying, you know, Job is asked all these questions and he has said all this t- stuff to me. And some of it's been hard. Some of it's been angry and a little bit bitter and doubting, you would think. And Job continues to say all this stuff to God and at the end does not sin. And I go, why? Why? Because Job said it not about God, but to God. Um, and I love this picture that we can talk to God in our most pain, with our most painful words, with all of our doubts, with all of our fears. And, and the difference between him and everybody else in that story is that he's bringing it to God and in that does not sin. And I love that picture. And so I think I, it, I would be amiss to say I've concluded I, what I want to say is wherever the listener is in this, in your theology, what you're talking about, what you're thinking about, just take it to God. Take it, say it to God. We can talk to each other all day long and that's one thing, but we real God really will give us the peace, the answers. And for me, I have found such a security and freedom and joy in serving a God who has seen everything to the end that he really has an eternal plan, that all of this matters, that every single thing in my life matters forever, that no part has been wasted. And so I, I do the very best that I can, which is not perfect by any means, and I'm sure I will miss it so much in the book, but I do the very best I can in the book, in the study, to help people walk through all of these parts are like taking these things to God, all the experiences to God, not just around him. And, and I just, I pray, Andy, it's just a helpful, helpful thing. If you want to stay connected with Casey, visit CaseyVanNorman.com. Of course, follow her on all the different social media platforms. Go out and purchase Nothing Wasted. Uh, Casey, thank you for the courage to tell your story and to let it be a catalyst for bringing healing and transformation into others' lives. Thanks so much for having me on, Andy. I'm so grateful for how you serve us, the listeners, through this podcast. And keep going, man. Thanks so much. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. 
For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This podcast is supported by Living Earth Ceramics. Living Earth Ceramics has been on Etsy, bringing pottery to you for almost 10 years and has over 20 years of pottery experience. The focus is not only creating pieces that help bring lasting memories to your community and your life and your family through pottery, but also the support of charitable donations to organizations in need. Living Earth Ceramics created an amplifier in 2011 to help those with hearing loss, like the owner herself. Other items have included mugs, serving ware, custom plates, and orders for newlyweds and holiday memories, gallery items, and custom requests for communal pieces to religious organizations. Living Earth Ceramics Shop on Etsy offers 10% discount to orders using the coupon code CBF Conversations. That's one word, CBF Conversations, with a free shipping now available to the continental United States. Living Earth Ceramics proudly supports our message of hope and love for all people. For more information, visit etsy.com backslash shop backslash Living Earth Ceramics. Well, that's it. That's our conversation. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites at fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing. I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff in return.